What is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of the Off-Market Operator. Today's show is very similar to a few of the previous shows that are on the boat here in San Diego. Today, we got a little overcast. We got the marine layer that hasn't quite burned off yet because we're down here at 9.30, 10 a.m. in the morning. But today, you guys, I have an awesome guest. His name is Caleb Hommel, and he is 20 years old, and he is crushing it. Um, he's at 28 units now, trying to get to 100 units this year, mostly seller finance, as well as doing a bunch of other cool stuff. You guys are gonna love this show, so without further ado, Let's get right into the show. People don't fail at real estate because they suck. They fail because there's too many ways to succeed. That's why I suggest you focus on the most important skill in all of real estate, which is finding deals. I'm Colbert Johnson, and in this podcast, I share the exact steps I've used to source 400 deals by age 24. This will allow you to do three things, control your deal flow, make unlimited income, and build your empire as an off-market operator. Well, man, appreciate you coming down on the show, man. It's a, you know, you kind of got another guest with you. You got the, the San Diego Marine layer that'll, right. probably, that'll probably burn off sometime in the next 30 minutes or an hour. But um, today, man, obviously with you being young, I think you have a lot of tactical stuff you can give people on on your journey, what got you to where you are at a young age. I think, you know, 20 years old, right? Being 20 years old and having um, any kind of meaningful business under your belt, there's something there that people can take from. So um, we're going to kind of progress through that. But start me out, man. Take me back to... Um, uh, your baseball journey, right? You, you planned, we just had this conversation off camera, but your original plan was to, um, you know, go play baseball and you got into it, didn't like it. Kind of give me the story. Really what I'm looking for too is, you know, what was that trigger for you going, okay, college isn't for me. That route's not for me. I want to try to do business of any sort. And before I even get into what kind of business you're doing, just, just start there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So kind of baseball whole life growing up, same thing with you in basketball. You think like when you're little, oh, I want to go play in the league. I want to play in professional, all this stuff. Yeah. And it's really glamorized. And then Went through high school, solid high school career, didn't, the offers I was looking for, went to a junior college, was kind of just like, this is cool. And I started kind of looking around on kind of the opportunities at junior college, like career-wise, and I'm kind of just looking at the degrees and stuff, what they make. I'm like, I kind of want something a little bigger, and kind of, then I got the opportunity cost of, hey, do I play two to four more years of college than maybe indie ball, professional ball, and kind of give up all this time where I could be starting a business, starting getting into real estate, and kind of decided it just wasn't worth it to keep playing, so. After that first semester, kept playing baseball until then, stayed in school until then, and kind of just decided to pull the trigger and drop out. And that 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 trigger to drop out, right? Was that was it a random Wednesday, or you're just like I'm out, or was it the semester end, or what was your how how did that go? Was it your were your parents on board? Give me give me oh because usually that, that, <laughs> usually that story is not just oh I dropped out. Usually it's uh, I fought my parents for two months, or everyone told me I was going to be a loser, or whatever the story is around that. Yeah, no, definitely you hit it on the head with me. Is coming. I had a great senior year in baseball, and then. So when I did decide to drop out eventually, I got everybody telling, oh, you're making the biggest mistake in your life, mm-hmm. you're gonna fail, all this stuff. And it was like kind of like, that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But dropping out, you said your parents usually aren't on board. I didn't even tell my parents. <laughs> I just was Whoa. like, I'm gonna go for it. And then they noticed I wasn't going to campus again. And my dad's like, what's happening? And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going back. He's like, six months, okay. Then we can figure it out. Then you either go back to school, you get a job or you move out. And I was like, I'll take the six months to see what I can do. But yeah, as far as dropping out goes, it kind of happened in the middle of the semester, um, early early a.m. baseball practice every day. And then I knew I was kind of getting over it when I didn't want to roll out of bed anymore for the 8 a.m. practice. I used to love practice, it was my favorite thing. And then I was kind of like, this isn't it anymore. Then, I mean, I only had one class in person at that point. So I started kind of fizzling out of that. And then I had my mind made up basically halfway through semester, but didn't even tell my parents until after, I mean, like a month into the next semester. Yeah, when I dropped out, I think it was a, uh... I was down again at a school in LA, it was Pacific, and I, mm-hmm. uh, 
I remember I, I'd gone down for my first semester, completed it. That was I went down in the spring, so my first semester was a spring semester. Okay. I had done running start in high school, so I had two years done. And I, I remember sitting in an accounting class on a Tuesday morning <laughs> in August, right, right when school started, and I was like, this isn't for me. And I, I remember I drove home from class, and I packed my stuff up on a Tuesday afternoon, and I drove the 28-hour drive to Seattle. Wow. Back, back to where I was living at the time, and um, was done, man. And I, I had a little different story. My parents were kind of like, we can kind of understand that you have more of a business brain and that school isn't the best place to nurture that, um, which I was lucky in that fact. But yeah, man, it's <laughs> a, the only reason I ended up doing, dropping out is because uh, I had running start done. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hey, I'm gonna give myself two years. And if, all, if I really suck for two years, I can go back and graduate on the same timeline that all my peers do, right? So I had that um, for me. But talk to me, man. So you drop out. What's what's the next year look like, right? Was that last year you dropped out? Was that two yeah, years that ago? Yeah, like, that? that was like kind of right at the beginning of 2022. So okay. kind of dropped out at the same time, started learning from the mentors. I credit with almost everything for me as Christian and Cody there. I just saw Cody was like 21 at 81 units or something. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, then I kind of listened to his story a little more and it's like he started with 3,000 bucks. I'm like, eh, I only have 300, so kind of similar so so i'm just gonna chase this worst case scenario i fail and like i like a lot of people when they drop out they like or they hear dropping out they freak out it's like you just go back the worst spot you can end up is you just go back you fail yeah the fear dude is uh it's the funniest thing because there's really like like there's like the the lives we all live like the worst thing that happens is (laughs) the worst like really the worst possible job you have right if you're not homeless is you're in a car driving people around an uber Right, and there's nothing. There's nothing against Uber. No, like, I did DoorDash. Uh, yeah, so I, like, I know. Yeah. Like, that's the worst case scenario, right? Which is like you go to anyone in the, the history of the world and you say, "Hey, your worst case scenario is you drive around and drop off food and you make okay money." Um, it's not, they, it's they would, not the worst. Yeah, thing they would la- they would laugh at you, right? So yeah, you can, go ahead. Yeah, so I just think, just there's too much fear, like you said. It just grips people, like just suffocates them. And I was like, okay, six months. If I fail, I go back to school and I get some stupid degree, whatever, and I figure this out later. So that kind of next year, it was I went to seller financing. I'm buying multifamily out, so I was just grinding that. I didn't know where I was gonna buy. I knew I didn't start in San Diego where we are now. It was a little tough, so I was like, I'm kind of looking out of state, all that stuff. So it was just every day, just on the phones, hitting the phones for like. And who were you calling? It was mainly brokers because I now I'm switched that up. But when the market is red hot, there were so many deals on market. I'm just calling them. I mean, I can't qualify for a bank loan at that point, so I'm calling stuff that's been sitting on market for a while, like going through the script, asking about seller financing. And then got laughed at most of the time, but eventually started calling them. They're like, "So let's, let's slow down a little bit." Just so you're pitching the broker's seller financing. So how I'd go through it, I was like, go through the whole script, and I'd kind of slip in the last second. I'm like, "Hey, how's you want to take this one down? Conventional? Or are we gonna get creative on this one?" And most of them are like, "You can go borrow at three percent. You're not getting. We're not doing creative financing, seller financing." So that was really difficult when I was getting started. That was back before the market had shifted, correct? Yeah, yeah, about gosh, a little over a year ago now. Um, so it's just hammer the phones, going through that. Called like. 500 plus brokers, maybe mm-hmm. more. Probably closer to a thousand. I only wrote down 500 of them. But and how are you choosing the markets where you were calling? In all honesty, so I started off looking in Northern Nevada up by University of Reno and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew some people up in the game up there, brokers, people, investors, agents up there. And I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna start here. And then the town I wanted to look in was a place called Fernley, Nevada. It's all growths off the charts. Awesome little town. They're like one or two deals on market that were double the price they should have. I'm like, and I have like, I'm going the broker route because I can't meet up with all these owners for that stuff. It makes absolutely no sense to look somewhere where there are only two deals and everybody and their moms looked at them already. So mm-hmm. then I kind of had to decide, hey, where am I going to pivot to? And then it came down to Texas or Florida just because mm-hmm. the growth, the inventory, the legislation. And I'm like, well, Texas is halfway closer across the country. So that's kind of why I decided Texas on a whim. So your portfolio is in Texas? Yeah, all of it. Nothing in, in San Diego? Nope. Not gotcha. yet, at least. 
interesting is that just and you know I've I've done a decent amount of commercial stuff but I'm not you know buying seller finance stuff um, so why is it a price point thing which made you go to Texas is it a the, the government sucks in California is that this how the like, what, what was the what was the thing that pushed you yeah. Uh, towards Texas. The three biggest things were one, because I was looking at deals in the market calling brokers. So I needed inventory to call because I, I was just going shotgun approach. I needed people to call, a lot of deals to call. So that came down to either Texas or Florida. Texas said more legislation. Um, California, they don't like landlords very much, to say the least. So kind of decided getting started. I didn't want to put myself through that headache. And then, yeah, price per door. I mean, compared to here, it's dirt cheap. I mean, it's still appreciating a lot out there, but it's like here you're looking at maybe two, 300 a door out there. It's like I'm getting stuff for under 100 all over the place. Gotcha. And if you had to say one reason you're buying, you're probably looking for cash flow, right? That's what code yeah, you buy, yeah, yeah, you buy yeah, off yeah. long-term cash flow. Yeah, I'm not one yeah. of those guys. I mean, here, if, don't get me wrong, if you're a gazillionaire and you want to park cash and just get a ton of appreciation, I don't know if there's a better spot than San Diego. Yeah, oh, that's for sure, no, yeah. But cash flow, it's yeah. a little, definitely a little tough when it's like, gosh, you're like three caps or something yeah. out there, it's not easy. So I remember, man, when I, when I was starting and I was, let's see, I was 19 and I had heard about this wholesaling thing, right? And I had, uh, somewhere short of you, I sat in my parents' upstairs bedroom uh, with my with my buddy, we were sitting at Applebee's, and the two for twenty at Applebee's, and he was like, "We I think we should try this wholesaling thing." And I was like, "You're right." We opened my Instagram. I see some dude flashing a forty thousand dollar check. You know, kind of like you, you see you see Cody on Instagram talking about his yeah. eighty one units. It seems like a fairy tale. Exactly. And it's I, I, not I, real. I started cold calling myself, man, for six months, nothing. Finally got that first deal, which for me it was a hundred five thousand dollars awesome. wholesale check, and. Um, that shifted it forever for me, but it doesn't feel real until that point, right? So, 100%. what is what was your first deal story of what what made it tangible for you, and what led up to that? How did you find that deal? Um, kind of give me the whole first deal story rundown. Yeah, that's a great question. So, it was a ton of calling on market, and then this place called McAllen, Texas, South Texas, which is on fire still more than I even imagined when I bought there. Call the broker going through it. And Clearly overpriced. That's how you're going to get seller financing the start. You had to have overpriced a ton of value add, and this is that deal. And so, calling it, and then kind of in the last second, it was on market. Yeah, oh, this was on market. And how long had it been sitting on market? God, 200 days. Okay, so, so for he, a while. Yeah, he was overpriced in a market that was red hot. Yeah. And then as like, went through my numbers, called her back. I'm like, hey, it still doesn't make sense with the bank. I was underwriting like 5% bank, and I'm like, would he be open to carrying a contract? He's like, let me see. Then he ended up carrying a contract, went back and forth. So, yeah, I'm at 4% interest on that one. I had a really cool term on that one as well. Um, Christian talks about it a little bit. He likes he likes to brand it. It's uh, six months of no payments. So mm -hmm. just, I need a reserve. I was 19, broke as a joke when I closed. Yeah, that builds it for you. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a $35,000 reserve just yeah. off the jump like that. Yeah. So that was huge. That's awesome, man. And so you found it through your cold calling yourself. Mm -hmm. get, you'll go a little more in depth than for the people that are listening to this, listening to talk to you, because I think it's hard to, I think we all get what, a good friend of mine calls the the curse of knowledge. Yeah, right. Where we, we, we understand something so well, we can kind of run through it. But break it down. If I was, you know, like I was a third grader and you're explaining to right. me how you finance that deal with carrying. What does that look like? What are the terms? How do you negotiate that? What, like, what does that mean? Pretend I know nothing. Right. So it was ten units in McAllen. I bought it for nine hundred thousand purchase price, and it didn't make sense with the bank with the down payment from a bank, the interest rate from a bank. And so I was kind of like, hey, we're gonna get creative on this. So seller financing is where the seller acts as the lender instead of a bank. Yep. And from there, my terms, stuff you're not gonna see with a bank, I had 10% down payment, which I didn't have any, so I had to go out and raise capital for the first time. Pause, where'd you, how'd you raise the capital? Now we're, now we're getting into it. Yeah, so raise the capital. There were two guys I had known for a while that were in the space. Uh, kind of grew up as family friends. I had known they were real estate investors, general contractors, roofers. I needed 90 grand. Yeah. And are you raising capital as well for, are you doing any kind of value add right away? Or are you letting your reserves build first? That one, it was the reserves build. And yeah. then, so there I'm like, hey, um, I pitched them. They're like, okay, we'll give you 30 grand each. 
I was okay, sweet. I'm still short another thirty grand. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I literally everywhere and anywhere you can possibly them go to all these meetups, Instagram, and it actually came to fruition off Facebook. It was a Facebook group said, "Hey, I've got an opportunity looking for some guidance or help on it. If anybody would be interested." Lady reaches out from Iowa. She's actually a very close friend now. Mm -hmm. She's like, "Hey, I'd love to help you out and get started and get, kind of get your journey rolling." So, <laughs> the third investor came from a Facebook group. Somebody I'd That's never funny, met. Man. That's awesome. And okay, give me back into the, the contract, right? How, when you negotiate your terms with a broker or a seller, what are some things that help you make you? You're 19 years old, calling someone in Texas <laughs> yeah. to put to whatever, have them hold a contract for you on a deal. Like, what does that process look? It's not a one call. It's not a one phone oh, call. Oh no, it's not a one call. Term, so, yeah. so what does that look like? Yeah, so it's going back and forth. Um, started out with, like I said, eventually hit the 10% down, 4% interest on it. But yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me was not telling anybody my age, just because if you tell anybody you're 19 years old, yeah, they don't know, right? No, I, that's the thing I tell people as well is, um, if you're, you know, going to do a deal. No one assumes, like if you're calling to buy a house, they assume you're an expert. Exactly. Until you prove to them that you're not, they assume you know what you're doing. And I'm no, sure you have that, yeah. 100%, it's just about not inval invalidating yourself. If you say some really stupid stuff on the phone that just makes you sound like you have no idea what you're doing or you're super inexperienced, then the broker is gonna probably ask you for a proof of funds or whatever. But if you just go through a talk track and you understand the numbers, you understand what you're talking about, hey, this is why the deal doesn't work as of X, Y, and Z, it would work at X, Y, and Z. And they're like, okay, this, he's a competent buyer. He understands what he's doing. And if they bring up like financing or anything, you kind of just say it confidently, roll right over it. But yeah, it's, people get a lot of imposter syndrome. I mean, I sometimes still get it. It's like, oh, of course. Right. That's a, <laughs> people don't realize it's like when you're getting started on the phones, it's like that imposter syndrome doesn't just, once you buy a deal, it just all changes. It stays forever. Cause I mean, the entrepreneurs were always hungry trying to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but yeah, it's just staying confident on the phones. It's your tonality, just what you're saying mm -hmm. was the biggest thing for me. Okay. So you buy the first one and that was with a partner, correct? Yeah, that was with a um, partner and then three capital um, okay. investors. So what does that deal look like now, sitting here in 2023? Yeah, so now, so we had the $30,000 reserve, we turned a few units, and now we're just in the process of just continuing to value it. We have about $300 to market on most of our stuff still. We've got two of them up, but we have $300 on the rest of them. So it's just renovating the units when they come due. It's kind of okay. nice and slow. And what is, so, so the, the number breakdown on that deal now, like what is at the, Monthly, right? Because that's what people want to care about. They care about cash flow, right? You're mm. talking about 20 years old. You didn't have anything to your name. Um, you get going in real estate. You get your first deal, and does that one deal change your life? Or you're like, I'm I'm not working anymore. Or, like, what what are the what are the like the the questions that I that people care about, right? Is cool 900 grand, 10 percent down. You build some reserves, but like, is is this thing putting two grand a month into your pocket every month? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. Like, what is, what is what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. That's the tangible stuff, no, right? Like, no, like I, I no, talk about is. I talk about wholesaling all the time, and I'm like, yeah, you do a twenty five thousand dollar deal, but you got five thousand in marketing costs, you got a team to pay, and you know you're not netting twenty five grand. No, right? exactly. And I think that's the thing that can screw people's head a little bit. So what's what's you know if someone's going to buy right now a nine hundred thousand dollar um, what do you say, 10plex? Yeah. In McAllen, Texas, and they're 4% interest rate, 10% down the six month, whatever you, whatever you said, kind of dead time there to build their reserves. What is, uh, what are they looking at? Like, is, is uh, are they yeah. retiring after? Like, what, what's going on That's here? a great question. I mean, ideally, I wish I could have retired after, but the th truth I learned with real estate, when I didn't 100% understand getting into it, and all honestly buying investments, is it's a get rich slow game. Yep. It's kind of when you're, when it's almost glamorized, and when you're getting into it, it's like, oh my gosh, one deal, you take the cash flow, you retire, and you don't think of the other stuff. It's like. Oh, I got a unit to turn. I got an AC to put in. Like, I got investors to pay. So that one deal did not. I mean, it changed my life in the fact that I realized I can create something out of nothing. Well, you have confidence, right? Yeah, that's, that's the, that's biggest the biggest thing. thing yeah. No, hundred yeah. percent. It's after that first deal. It's 
everything changes like just up here. It's like people, your, your universe might not completely change, but you're like, holy crap, I can do this. Yep. I can create generational wealth. Like I can build something out of nothing. That's what really changed for me in my life up to this point as well, after buying the three. But I mean, cash flow wise, it didn't change my life, making yeah. a few hundred bucks off it, but it's not yeah. like anything ridiculous. But it's long term, right? And that's the thing people forget is like, you know, people jump from Airbnb to Airbnb arbitrage to- Oh my gosh, to, yeah. Um, to, what I see, uh, like another thing that's becoming very popular is like the senior living stuff. And then, yeah, uh, I've seen that too. And then you have, um, you know, development, and fixing, flipping, wholesaling. Like, there's so many different <laughs> way, different it's ways ridiculous. to make money in real estate that people forget that it's a um, no matter what you do, what you're marketed, you never flip a switch and you're you have 50 grand rolling every month. Like, it's a very slow, long-term buildup. And I think that the slower it is, right, it's that it's more guaranteed 100%. and it's longer term, right? Because Airbnb, for example, a lot of guys are already getting screwed on it, right? So, oh, 100%. I mean, um, if you see in Dallas, Dallas yeah. got, they banned it completely. Yeah. It's like these people don't realize it. It's always on the next new hot thing, the next new facade. It's like, at the end of the day, that's just not the way to play the game. I mean, a lot of people, they build all this general, they build all this crazy yeah. wealth in one thing. They're like, oh, I'm going to pivot. And that's when you lose it all. Yeah. It's just become an expert at your thing. Keep going slow and steady. It's not... And you're not in the tech industry where you're like one thing can change your life, yeah. just skyrocket to the moon. Yeah. It's, a, it's a get rich slow game, but it's the least risky thing out there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sticking around with me and Caleb, or Caleb and I. Um, as always, <laughs> you guys can find this on uh, all the different places you listen to audio podcasts. That's uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the different ones, as well as YouTube. And honestly, on, on shows like this, when we're on the boat, YouTube's the best place because you get a really cool background. Um, it's just a lot of fun. So if you want to get in contact with Caleb and learn more about how he's um, you know, finding these deals off market and seller financing, well, again, he's going to be 20, 21 with 100 units this year. Um, you can reach out to him at caleb.hommel on Instagram. We'll also tag his stuff below in the description here on YouTube and Apple and Spotify and everywhere else you're finding this podcast. So as I always say, until next time, you're only one deal away.